Vodka. Vodka. Vodka O'Clock. Hey everyone, it's Amber Love and you're listening to the Vodka O'Clock Podcast from AmberUnmasked.com. Don't forget you can support the show and the website through Patreon.com slash AmberUnmasked where you can pledge as little as $1 per creation, which basically comes down to a dollar a week. And um, that really helps. And it also helps if you share those links with uh, your own followers and uh, network groups. That's really helpful. So uh, the show is labeled explicit, but I doubt that we'll get into anything regarding uh, gratuitous, explicit natures, uh, you know, today. But returning to the show is comic book writer Wes Loker. This is visit number three. I'm getting my frequent flyer miles on. You are. You, you might be in competition with Eric Grissom. Oh, I'm going to take him down. <laughs> All right, so yeah, you were also on episodes uh, 1404 and 1427 for those of you that want to go back and listen to those because Wes has a really uh, diverse catalog of the comics that he writes. So, um, you know, you might find something different that we talked about that appeals to you. Today, we are, because um, you've got printed comics and web comics, so we're going to cover some of the whole gamut here, but we really do want to talk about Unit 44 which had been successfully funded through Kickstarter quite a while ago. Twice. So we, we, did, yeah. we did two. We got greedy, but we made it. We're here. You did it. And, yeah, so there have been some changes, and I want to find out what's going on with you. And it's, it was Eduardo was your artist on this one, right? Yes, Eduardo Jimenez, who's a, who's a fantastic artist from Costa Rica. He, uh, he climbed on board a couple years ago, and uh, we took the first issue to Kickstarter uh, back in, in 2013, had a successful funding for just our first issue which was great because it let us have kind of like a proof of concept of the book and we were able to take it around to conventions. We, we pitched it to a couple publishers. Um, and, and from there we decided, well, we're just going to do the whole series and we're going to self-publish this thing if we need to. So we went back to Kickstarter the following year, uh, almost exactly a year later, uh, raised the money to, to get issues three to four in the can. Um, during that process, we, we linked up with Alterna Comics. Um, and they, they offered to, to publish our series. They had some great things to say about it. We decided that they were the best fit for us, linked up with them. And the first issue is going to hit Comixology on Wednesday, uh, March 25th. Excellent. So how long is the series? Are you doing it issue by issue? Are you doing like a big trade um, all at once? Uh, type? It's going to be a monthly release. So we're going to start in March with the first issue, and then the, the fourth issue will come out in June. So we're going to be hitting every 30 days for four months. It's going to be awesome. Okay, this is excellent. So for those of you that haven't gone back and heard the other podcasts about Unit 44, what you need to know is that it's a really super fun sci-fi comic, it, very much in the vein of like Men in Black meets like, um, what was it, like Pawn Stars or we, something? We call like, it Storage Wars meets Men in Black. Storage Wars, that was it. Yeah, because the, the concept to me was so freaking hilarious. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so fill them in on, on what the, your pitch for Unit 44 was. Sure. Uh, Unit 44 is about inept Area 51 employees who forget to pay the rent on the facility's off-site storage unit, and then the secrets are sold to a couple of uh, backwoods rednecks during a public auction, and much hilarity ensues from there. Right. So uh, when you were plotting this out of uh, a storage unit filled with possible alien artifacts or investigation artifacts. Did you uh, take the time to make a whole huge list before you started writing or was it something that, that came through organically? Uh, it came through organically. I, I, there's definitely a kind of a, a MacGuffin throughout the story. There is one particular item within the storage unit that becomes the, the central focus of the series. Um, and, and the catch is that if there's a pending alien invasion of planet Earth and of course the only way to stop it is with a, a crystal that was in this particular unit. So the main characters, Agent Gibson and Agent Hatch, who are two fumbling, bumbling men in blacks, if you will, uh, they have to go on a mission to go retrieve it from the rednecks. Okay. And in this universe that you have set up, uh, because you do have it like very like realistic that this is taking place in America and relatively modern sure. times and everything, do you have the alien knowledge being um, like widely accepted or is it very much like today where um, nobody really believes anything? Yeah, it's, it's definitely this impending alien invasion is a complete secret. Uh, they can't let it get out into the public. Uh, everybody would, would freak out and panic. So it's all a matter of kind of keeping everything under wraps 
uh, while trying to solve their crisis. So if this were to be, you know, like a, a homeland security issue, if that even exists by the time we're recording this, <laughs> <laughs> we're not so, not so sure how our department is, is uh, holding up there. Um, uh, do you think that this is something that the government really takes care of or or is it like private agency type stuff that you expect to save the world? Well, I think that the government, they, they've they've got a plan for it. They're going to. They're going to plan and they're going to shut it down if it, if, it, uh, if it comes to that. So in our story, we kind of approach it as Area 51 is, is the central point for, for covering up those type of things. And in the event that they don't stop the alien invasion, then it's very, very obvious that we are all going down real quick. And let's talk about your agents, because they um, is a terrific buddy cop feel. You've got your, you know, your Joe Friday straight lace kind of guy. Um, I think it was, might have been Kay. What, was that Kay in the Men in Black? Yeah, the, uh, the Tommy Lee Jones character. It was Tommy a, Lee a straight man. Yeah, so, um, and then you've got your kind of carefree, um, doesn't want to conform with anything. <laughs> Correct. We've got, so, we've got an Agent Hatch, who's, who's our particular straight man in, in this this comedy. And, and he's a very, he's, he's the elder statesman. He's the very by-the-book guy. He wants to do everything his way. And then he's he's balanced out by Agent Gibson, who who's kind of just a more of a slacker, more of a not taking everything so seriously. So um, it, it's an interesting way that they kind of play off each other because you've got the the guy that wants to do everything um, by the book, and then you've got the guy that kind of just wants to hang out and and maybe do things a little bit of alternative method. So their interactions are definitely the the focus of Unit Forty Four, and and that's pretty much where the bulk of the humor comes from. So I know that you had um, mentioned uh, that you're finally getting through comicsology to bring, you know, bring it to more people. So what were other changes that you, you did in order to be re-releasing the book now? Did you go through um, any artistic changes? We did. Um, we ended up, uh, we, we released the first issue in 2013 to our, just our Kickstarter backers. We had a very limited release. We didn't really promote it. Um, we knew we wanted to get the whole series in the bag before we took it to the world. Um, we did, however, after we finished the series, we kind of took a step back, looked at the book from start to finish, and and Ed decided, because he's crazy, he decided that he was going to redraw the entire first issue to not only kind of update the color palette to fit with the other issues that we had done, but he had drawn those characters for, for 88 pages. So he really had a handle on the world. He had a handle on on the different quirks of each person. So he actually went back just within the last month and redrew the entire, redrew and colored the entire first issue. So anybody that did back our original Kickstarter, um, if they, if they come on board, they download the new issue on Comixology, they're basically going to get a whole new experience. While the story is the same, um, we did incorporate a lot of new visual humor. There's, there's a few new gags in there. So I highly encourage that anybody who even got to check out the first one, they need to come back. They need to see what he did because it is just phenomenal. That sounds like such a huge undertaking. It is. I don't envy him at all. I know. Um, I mean, I know other people who have done that. Steve Bryant did something uh, very similar with Athena Voltaire, and it was like only he, he you know, he tackled like hundreds of pages or something. Oh, yeah. And this is Ed's first uh, miniseries, comic book miniseries. So, you know, I, I wanted him to make sure that he was putting his best work out there. So I, I definitely tip my hat to him. Um, it, it, the book looks phenomenal. I'm so happy with it. It's, de- it's definitely one of those things that, you know, you look back at past projects and you say, oh, I could have done that better. I could have done that better. This is one of those books that I feel completely confident that five years from now, I'm going to look back, reread it, and I'm, I'm still going to just absolutely love it. When he did these updates to the style, did something about his own process change, like switching from pencils over to digital, or did, was it just a matter of... Um, evolving the characters and evolving his own style. Definitely. It was, it was just on the character side. I think technology-wise, he's he's completely digital only. Um, he has a really cool, fast process that he uses. Uh, but if if you looked um, at the time, the, the characters from issue one to issue four had gone through some evolution, not only in their clothes, but in you know just little details like their facial expressions or their hair. So the fact that he was able to go back and, and really bring that cohesiveness together is what's going to give this book a, a consistent style throughout. And it's, it's really, uh, even the colors, just the color palette that he settled on around the second issue, bringing that back to the first is, it just makes it beautiful. Once, once we package this into a, a collected edition and people sit down and read it front to back, they're really going to, it's going to look like 
he drew it all in one sitting. So do you have plans to do another Kickstarter as a collection or are you just going to, you know, now that you're with Alterna, let them handle it? Well, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, our issues will sell so well that we'll be able to just fund the, uh, the graphic novel uh, near the end of the year. If it comes down to, to us having to fund that, we, we may go the Kickstarter route, um, but I'm hoping that just between conventions and online sales, we can really kind of build that up and, and let it pay for itself. I think that's the sign of a successful comic. Now, as we said, this is a really fun uh, comedic sci-fi type of story, uh, but obviously science fiction is a pretty huge genre in itself. So is there um, is there particular appeal uh, to making science fiction and science fiction comedy for you? Uh, I think because I know like the other work that you do is so incredibly different. Right. It's I think this is just appeals to some of the the very basic science fiction tropes we have. Uh you know, we have a government conspiracy. We have uh space aliens. We have extreme technology. So it was really it, me taking all the things that I like the very basics of science fiction and kind of mashing them together with a bunch of really silly gags. And I think for me that, you know, at the end of the day, I, I wrote a book that I wanted to read. And so I took all of my loves from, from both comedy and the science side, science fiction side, and just mashed them together into something that I think is a lot of fun. Because you have tackled sci-fi before with uh, innovation. Correct. And, uh, but that was a, a drama and, uh, and Chambers was a crime drama, which, um, each of, of these projects has an element of, in, in, like in, in TV land, you know, what they would call like police procedurals. I mean, whether it's FBI or whatever agency, um, so even though you, you're dealing with things that are science fiction, uh, you seem to still, tap into that police procedural um like the the template and the the like i said the buddy cop feel and you know there's procedures and protocols and stuff like that so is this something that you felt like you needed to merge together on your own or or was there just a, a such a rich history that you uh, have probably been influenced your whole life and didn't you know didn't specifically notice I it? think I'm just really obsessed with structure so any type any time I can use an organization to to help move a story along I think my brain just tends to go there for whatever reason but it, it's interesting as you as you write and you kind of build a catalog of, of work over time you get to see those themes kind of pop out so I love the fact that you just kind of pointed that out to me because I was I'm sitting here going oh my god she's right she's totally right so uh, I think that when you have when you go into like the the police world you go into the government world you automatically think you know partners so you start kind of building a cast based off of that and to to have people interact different personalities interact within a particular structure, I think that's where the magic happens with a procedural or, or a, a buddy cop type comedy. When I watch things like Rizzolian Isles or Bones or Body of Proof, uh, you know, they're things that are, have heavy science elements to them. And, you know, the real world is still is still like not even close to where these TV shows are with things like, um, you know, it, it's always like a, a matter of a couple hours, like, oh, I'll get you those DNA results in a couple hours. <laughs> and, and meanwhile, they really take like months and months. And, um, you know, there are some cases that, that don't even get to pretrial for years and stuff like that. So it's funny how there there are things that really come off as being realistic but when it comes to the actual procedure part they totally just like throw that out they're like oh no we need to we, we can't possibly say that this team is going to work on this thing for the next six months or whatever i think we should have an episode of a tv show and in, in one of those that you mentioned where the whole entire episode is them just the characters in a room just waiting for the test results yeah i because i think that's way more realistic <laughs> and, and whatever they do to kill time in the middle yeah, it's just, it, it, there's so much boring parts, uh, you know, of investigating and, and just whether it's police work or government work or whatever. It's like, oh, you think you need this permit? Well, I'm sorry, but it's going to take you to <laughs> And it's got to go before the city council and they have to approve it. And, <laughs> and they only meet once a month. Right, right. Well, you know. Let's do that. Let's do that. I'm going to do a, my next piece is going to be a city council drama. 
more comedy. <laughs> yeah. You know, why not? I mean, Madam Secretary, one of my favorite shows is like, it's like, how on earth do they actually make this government stuff sound so exciting? <laughs> I don't know. I worked in small town government and it was horribly boring. I, as, as part of my day job, I, I cover, I work at a newspaper and I cover city council meetings and they are not exciting. No, they're not. And yet, it, talk about things not being instant satisfaction. They will take those meetings to midnight. Oh, yes. No, they have there. no problem. They have, they have nothing else to do. <laughs> exactly. I mean, there was one guy who he was, mind you, over 80 years old. I don't know why he kept insisting on running for council. Um, and he would fall asleep during every, every single meeting. <laughs> that's awesome. That's, that's our, our government at work, folks. It was, you know, it was one of those things where it was it was a joke. I mean, and, you know, we all saw uh, the very honorable Ruth Bader Ginsburg fell asleep during a speech. But really, it's because the stuff gets droning and boring. And then, and then they start arguing once they all start getting irritated. That, that's when the fun really happens. Yeah. And, you know, if and it's just in those rooms, there's just there's no air movement. It's, you know, it's, there's nothing, nothing truly exciting. It's it's the fiction part that we love so much. We, just, we strip out all of the unfun stuff and just focus on that, that five minute period where stuff actually happens. Exactly. Um, did you uh, I'm like way behind. I'm terrible when it comes to movies. But did you happen to catch things like the theory of everything or the imitation game? I've seen neither one of those. I think I'm right with you on the movie stuff. Okay, yeah, I'm like way behind. Like I, I don't, you know, I won't see it till it comes on Netflix. I go to the movies like once or twice yeah, a year. Yeah, same here. So, um, okay, because I was wondering, I was like, I was trying to think of, sci- you know, other science-based scripts that have been out there in the world and getting attention um it, when it comes to comics there you know there's always some really good uh, sci-fi stuff like um uh, letter 44 yours is called unit 44 <laughs> completely unrelated nothing at all resembling it but uh letter 44 is a really fun one and planet gigantic oh absolutely planet gigantic is is probably Phenomenal. one of the best comic books that i've read this year i've been trying to push that to everybody that i know i can't can't wait to get my my copy signed by eric chris and that's going to be the highlight of my year when I can make that happen. Um, yeah, I think you should come up here and do that. I, I will. Uh, I will. I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to get up there, and then I actually have a really funny uh, letter for you for a story. Uh, oh. I was at I was at the New York Comic Con in 2013, and and I guess that I think that's the year that the book came out because I was I was talking to uh, Jim Zubkovich who writes uh, Skull Kickers and and Wayward Image. And yeah, he he also does like really great uh, advice column type. Uh, Oh, definitely. The guy, the guy's amazing. I, I love his transparency. But I was, I was talking to him. We have a mutual friend, and he was tabling next to Charles Soule, who writes Letter Forty Four. And and I hadn't heard of the book. Um, and he so well, Charles writes literally fifty percent <laughs> comics. Okay, but so. <laughs> at, at the time, two years ago, I, I didn't really. I knew his name, but I, I just I wasn't that familiar with his work. Now, like you said, he writes everything, so I'm really familiar with his work. Um, but he w- so his table was beside Jim's and he wasn't there. I guess he was he was at a panel or something. And so as I'm waiting to talk to Jim, I see this book just on his table called Letter 44. And at the time, I started writing Unit 44 back in in 2012. We started putting it in production in 2013. So I'm like, OK, that that name is, you know, it's, it's kind of similar. And, you know, as a as a creator, you never want you always want to feel like your ideas are are completely original. So when you see that somebody has a has a comic book with a title that's very similar to the one that you're currently working on, it kind of makes you stop for a second. And so I say it, on the front of it, it was right when the first issue came out, because um, I remember the cover just had like has the president on it, the president in the comic book. And so I'm I'm like, OK, well, let me leaf through this while I'm waiting to talk to Jim. And I'm like, there, you know, there's no way that this book has to do with aliens or anything. And sure enough. There's aliens in it, <laughs> I so I, I was a little bummed out by that. But but I've I've since read the book and I absolutely adore Letter Forty Four. I think that's seriously one of the best comics being published right now. And happy to say that it, it it's very very different from what we're doing with Unit Forty Four. But just uh, it was a funny moment there. Yeah, and really like no for some reason I nobody talks about this book. I know. I'm like I thought that there was had to be something wrong with me going. <laughs> I why am I the only person that seems to like this? I I don't know if maybe it's just be. I think um was it Oni or Titan? Yeah, I forget. It's, it's Oni, and and I think for anybody that's listening that does like that book, 
if you pretend like that book is hilarious, then that's kind of what you're getting with Unit 44. So I think that you can you can kind of translate some of that audience there, too. Oh, definitely. And um, yeah, because they, they have some real dramatic moments in his writing, certainly. Um, it's I was one of my one of the questions I do like to ask to people, though, is, you know, geez, what happens when you run into or you just feel like the market already has what you want to write. I mean, there's superheroes, there's zombies, there's werewolves. I mean, you know, as a writer, do you ever just go, oh, God, I, have, I can't possibly touch that subject because, you know, it's already out there and it's already so done. It just depends on, on where, where it comes in the process. If, you know, if you're just starting to develop an idea that's kind of similar, you, I, the way I think about it is it, you know, it takes a comic book anywhere from <clears throat> a year to two years to get produced. And in that time, you know, the whatever idea is currently out there, that, that kind of goes away. You know, things come and go so quickly in the comic book world that what people are talking about this week is not necessarily what they're going to be talking about next week. So I think that if you have kind of a buffer in there, you have a chance to to jump back in and, and rebring eyes to that particular market. Um, but beyond that, it's it's all about the execution. I mean, even if two people have the exact same idea, there's just there's no way that the final story is going to be the same story. So, um, you know, I, I give people the benefit of the doubt and and if I'm passionate about a story, I'm not going to let, you know, in that in that situation, like I just said, it, that didn't stop me from continuing on with my book. I was just kind of like, OK, well, that that happened and that's funny. And and maybe I can maybe I can use that that humor down the line to my advantage. It's uh, it's funny that that's exactly how you phrased it, because um, one of the other shows that I listen to is uh, friends of mine do the uh, making comics. Uh, we're at Comics Experience, their podcast there. It's a it's a very short format kind of podcast. And Andy Schmidt said the exact same thing. Exactly. He has one of, you know, he's been in the business for like 20 years or something. And I'm probably aging Andy a bit. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, it, but he started when he was 10. No, right, he was um, born into it. He was, he was hatched in the back offices of Marvel somewhere too, to edit comics. Yeah. He sort of had like a reverse career in that he started at like, uh, at Marvel and then like went down in, through uh, more indies and smaller. Right. He, he's actually going, when he dies, he's going to be an intern somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> probably. He's the, he's the Benjamin Button of the comics the book Benjamin world. Button. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that was actually, this was, this whole part of it was the subject of their last podcast um, was, uh, you know, what do you do when there's something similar out there? And, uh, he had a, a short mini series called Five Days to Die, and he said that you know he, he didn't know, even though yeah he had once worked for Marvel and was friends with those people. It's not like you share specific details about your projects. It's just coincidence when things come out that are similar. Because oh, I remember this because Marvel then released a book right around the same time that was something something really similar to that, right? Very similar, very similar in title and concept and everything and he's like you know yeah maybe these these folks are uh, a call you know former colleagues at least or people you talk to a couple times a year he's like but you're not sharing the kind of information that would be like oh that person stole my story um and i know that that's a concern for for some people i've i've been i don't know that i like i've personally been given that advice by too many people but i have heard that advice a couple of times that Oh, you know, never share your work. And I'm like, well, you know, because as as writers, you and I have to go out and look for artists. So it's like, well, my scripts are out there because I'm trying to court <laughs> the the artists, and I, and in order for me to do that, I have to show them the script. And you know, so it's like, so there's there's no way for me to not share while while I'm completely uncommitted, as, you know, as a creative partnership yet. definitely so. and I think the other thing the other side of that that you have to consider is that you know I, I see a lot of people out there that are worried about their ideas getting getting stolen and, and making people sign you know non-disclosure agreements for independent comics that may or may not even make it to production but the way I always look at it is because I I hear exactly what you say you send a script to an artist for consideration and if they say no then they still have your script but you know, is somebody really going to think how long it takes to make a comic book? It, it takes months and hours and, and sometimes years. You know, is somebody really going to take your idea and spend all that time developing someone else's idea? Or are they going to do what they're passionate about? So I, to me, I, I just think of it that way. And I, I, it doesn't concern me as much, I guess. I would hope that 
the people are creative enough to come up with something original based or rather than than potentially steal a script or, or a kernel of a story idea from somebody that they were looking to work with. And when you're um, not quite established or looking to break in or just learning how to make comics for, you know, for whatever your future holds, you actually do work with other people's properties. It's sort of like fan fiction, if you right. will. Like, you know, your assignment might be, you know, who's your favorite character, you know, write five pages or, you know, draw five pages, whatever it is. And, um, they, you know, obviously when it comes to television writing, you have to do the same thing. You have to have a feature that's original, which is like, I don't know, a hundred pages or something. And you have to have a spec script of something that already exists. Right. Like a TV show out there that you, that, that has to be reasonably popular and well-known if you if it's something like a half hour sitcom then you should have two and if it's like a full hour drama then you should have at least one good spec script so you're not going to pick something that you know from a tv show that nobody watches it has to be something huge like how to get away with murder or scandal or whatever and it's you know but in a way it's like fan fiction so there's like obviously fan fiction gets such a bad rap but um well, it's, it's a necessity for that particular industry. If you're going to break into TV, then you do what you got to do. But in comics, you know, you, you're not going to break in by doing, you know, most people aren't going to break in by doing a Batman fan fiction and putting all that work into creating a comic that they can't ever even sell. I think that people are, are generally intelligent enough to know that they need to develop their own ideas and kind of get something out there that, that people are going to respond to rather than saying, oh, this, this person's doing fan fiction for Spider-Man. Yeah, you just need to have those sorts of things, obviously, for like your own portfolio. Um, every once in a while, something will um, really take off. That is essentially fan fiction, as far as I know. Like um, Mike Mayhack, I think is how you say his name. Um, he would draw like Batgirl and Supergirl comic strips. Oh, cool. And but as far as I know, he didn't work for DC. It was just stuff, sort of saying in that vein of these are the things that are really, really lacking mm -hmm. in, you know, in the comics. So I'm going to, I'm going to tackle this, like, you know, whatever the heck ages they're actually supposed to be in the comics these days. I don't know. <laughs> it would, you know, like subtract six years right. and be like, you know, this is what they're like in high school. Um, I've seen that before. And there was even like a really popular Batman and Joker story that was being circulated for a while. And again, I think it was just somebody's, uh, idea like I have a Batman story I want to tell I'm going to do this I'm going to put it on my website and I'm going to look you know use it as work as as not that they're making any money off that but they're going to use it as a as a launch point as a talking point and be like look I did this I can tell a story definitely and there's there's no wrong way to, to try to get your name out there in the comic book world and I think for me personally when it comes down to the the man hours involved with putting something from from initial idea to to finished production I mean, that's, it's a lot of work. And I personally, I, I'm going to go my own route and try to bring something new to it. But I've definitely seen that work for people. And I, and I know the exact uh, Batman and Joker story that you're talking about. I remember seeing that when it was going around online. It was fantastic. Um, but, I, you know, I don't know that those folks went on to do anything. I'm not really sure where they are career wise or if that really, truly helped them. Right. And the the cool thing, at least one of the things I want to talk to you about is um, this is a great segue into the cool thing about comics is if you say, look, I have a really great Batman story that I want to tell a really great Batgirl story that I want to tell um, is to make your own character and, and write that story and tell that story. Definitely. Um, now what's interesting is um, yesterday on Twitter, I saw a, a few creators, like three or four people going back and forth talking about, um, whether or not you need an agent to get into comics. And I thought, oh, Jesus, God, please no. Jeez. And this, this comes up once in a while because there are some uh, big name creators. Usually, um, I, I don't think artists need agents so much as they need an agent to book them for conventions or to sell their, their art after it's done. But literary agents are specifically for writers. And um, there are people who are book authors and comic book creators guys like warren ellis so um alex grecian and chuck wendig so they already had agents and somehow their agents 
um, got them into comics or the or, you know, in in Ellis's case, it was probably the other way around. He probably had such a huge catalog of comic book work that he was able to get an agent and get his books out there. And I hope it never comes to that because book publishing is hard. It is. To, get into and comic books like you're saying is if you have a story to tell then get out there and tell it and I don't want to see it becoming an agent necessity type of burden because you know I'm glad that there's things like Kickstarter out there for people like you who want want to tell these great stories and and in comics there's there's barely there's barely any money as it is so the thinking about having to pay an agent on top of that think I would just I would just sit in my room and cry all the time. That would be horrible. I hope it doesn't yeah, go that's, that route. Yeah, that's exactly what Chris, Christopher Jones said. He's like, my page rate is not all that high to begin with. He's like, if I have to now give somebody else a percentage of it, that's really gonna, you know, I'm not gonna get anything. Yeah, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep my fingers crossed, and I have a birthday coming up, so I'm gonna wish that that doesn't happen when I blow out the candles. <laughs> Do you think though that um, that it's becoming um, expected that uh, that certain publishers are only looking for people who are already famous somewhere else or successful somewhere else. Fame, fame is whatever your own definition. But well, you, you got to, I mean, you, if you're a publisher, your, your number one goal is to make money, which I completely understand. You know, it's a business and you're going to go with the, the names that are going to guarantee you money. I mean, I think we see um, over the past couple of years, we've seen, uh, image comics, you know, they they for a long time were were more about um, bringing new talent to the table and, and kind of exposing folks that are doing really interesting and innovative things in the medium and in the industry. And over the past couple of years, they've they've started to release more from folks who who've already written for Marvel for years and years. You know, you've got your your Bendises and um, well, I think he's he's just working with Marvel, but you know, Brubaker who just signed that that deal to basically put out anything that he'd like to. And and I understand that because that's guaranteed money for them and they're going to keep their market share and they're going to they're going to make sure that they're putting out content that, that people want to purchase, but it definitely makes it hard. So it's like we almost have to as as indie creators, we have to find well what's going to be the next image comics that can then get us to image comics and eventually Marvel and DC. So it's interesting to see how it's changing. Um but there's always going to be another publisher that pops up and, and puts out really quality independent books from creators that maybe we haven't, we're not that familiar with. And some of the comic book publishers are crossing over with traditional book publishing anyway. Um, and, you know, because we've seen it happen also with gaming companies um, like IDW has the license with Hasbro and stuff. And IDW now has like this huge arrangement with um you know, to have IDW Entertainment Company, where they they have a whole process for uh, trying to you know get a uh, whether it's a an, an actual intellectual property that exists or something else that's under their umbrella and move it along to the TV movie route or the video game route, and you know then there's to a smaller extent things like Action Lab Entertainment has a, a toy arrangement and 215 Inc also publishes books so um you know there there is a crossover and sometimes it's it, what's interesting is um when there are publishers out there that are publishing the other comic book companies work like they'll be you right. know the, the 50 years celebrating Jack Kirby or something like that. And it won't actually come out from Marvel. It'll be printed and distributed by somebody right, else. They'll do the, the artist editions and, and that type of thing, which is, which is great. I don't understand how the, the business side of that works, but uh, they're definitely, I see what you mean about the, the crossover. And, and if you're going to go the traditional route, like there are a lot of book publishers like Scholastic, you know, they'll, they'll do the occasional graphic novel. So if you, if you decide that you want to put your book out in that medium, then, then I can see that you need an agent to facilitate that. But but if we had to have agents just to be able to go to, you know, to the indie side or or to be able to submit to Marvel, I think that that just that adds additional gatekeepers into the industry that that I don't think we need, and I wouldn't want to see added. I think editors really kind of get to play that role at the moment, and the the system works, darn it. Yeah, well, I, I think the system is improving um, actually because you know it, the the old tale that it was just a boys club and stuff like that. I mean, you always had a handful of women and 
even non-white creators in comics for for American comics. Obviously, it's different elsewhere. But um, you know, the like you said, gatekeeper. We're try to change that and get more women in the ranks that are decision makers too. Absolutely. I mean, just be- between uh, the the influx of, of films, comic book films over the past couple of years, um, and even just with the amount of of new creators. Um, it, it is a super exciting, super cool time to be involved in it, and, and it's going in the right direction. It took it took forever to get there, but it, it's going to just keep getting cooler. So now that you have Unit 44 done and a plan for it and, you know, the hopes of it coming out as a trade collection, which I'm, you know, I'm guessing would still be handled through Alterna, sure. um, do you have other plans for that, or are you working and thinking about, other stories like, you know, chambers, you know, you already had done and things like that. Are you, are you working on brand new things or are you constantly adding to the things that you've already made? Well, we are, Ed and I are going to see how unit 44 does in the marketplace. Um, you know, we hoped, we hope that it makes a million dollars and we can just move to an Island somewhere. That's really our game yeah, plan. Sure. Um, yeah, okay. but if it, if it does well, we've, we've already talked about what we can do, what more we can do with it. Um, we've, we actually we already have stuff written for it. It's 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 there. If people want it, we'll do it. Um, but we may. We've also talked about doing other projects, and and even Ed has some ideas that that I may help him flesh out from a writing standpoint. So we I think that we'll you'll definitely see us work together. Um, I had a really big year last year as far as just writing uh, a lot of stuff. I found that this this comedic vein kind of worked for me, and it, and it had a it it brought a voice that I was able to really latch onto and enjoy. So I, I did a lot more work, kind of more in that vein, um, and I've got a few other books that are that are in production. We're gonna have a couple other things hit maybe later this year, and if not this year, then then hopefully next year that um, are are on the back burner. They're they're moving. It's it's obviously you work with an artist. It's it can be a lot of hurry up and wait, but I've got some really really talented people that I'm I've had the pleasure of working with over the past year, and and I'm super excited about some stuff that I have coming up, whether it's late 2015 or early 2016 there's there's definitely more coming do you have a, a slush pile of things that you know are just never going to get out there oh, of course absolutely everybody does but you, you keep that stuff and you hope that one day you can maybe look at it with fresh eyes and and redo it or you hope that maybe you can pull some of the the things that you loved about that story and, and work them into something that you're doing down the line so nothing ever the slush pile never dies it just accumulates and then you just once in a while dig through the trash and, and you see what's it's still ripe and you pull it out and you enjoy it. When it comes to making plans like this and looking towards the future, or just looking towards each story at a time, how do you set goals to make comics? Are you looking at it as a full story or are you looking at it as an issue? And like, that's your goal. Like how, how do you personally handle it? Um, I tend to look at each idea. I, the first step is to figure out what, what it's going to be. Is it going to be a one shot? Is it going to be a mini series? Is it going to be a graphic novel? And trying to figure out what, what medium or what, what method of, of release is going to work best for you. And, and once, once I have that nailed down, uh, it's just a matter of going in, just outlining the story, deciding if it's going to be a mini series, how many issues do I need? And then just diving in and, and doing the work, which is always the most fun part anyway. What's the worst thing you ever did? to one of your characters because like I said you've got so many different styles you've got the com- comedic side but you have this you know dra- drama and uh, police action kind of side too <laughs> the worst thing I ever did to a character and, and I, I won't I won't say which story it was in because it 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 may potentially ruin it for for the reader um, but I took a character that I, I loved dearly and and I threw them out a window and I still feel <laughs> I still feel really bad about that uh, did they did they survive uh, that, no. that, you know that's 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 not on me to decide the the reader really gets to kind of make that call oh okay well that's pretty cool yeah. that's cool you know and you know also like the the great opening of the Watchmen. there you go you can't go wrong with if someone i think it was peter david that said if somebody doesn't get thrown through a plate glass window in the first five pages of your comic then you're doing it wrong oh I don't know. But it's pretty funny. I do, I, I do enjoy listening to Peter David's advice and reading his blog and stuff. He's, he's wonderful to see at panels. Yeah, he's amazing. He, it's funny, when I was growing up and I was reading a lot of comic books, you know, as a kid, you don't necessarily pay attention 
to the creator side until you get, you know, get a little bit older okay. and get a little bit more okay. interested in it. Um, but one, one year when I was going through uh, a couple long boxes that I have up at my parents' house, I was quickly discovering that the bulk of comics that I owned were actually written by him. So it's, it's, I consider him to be one of my major influences just because I read so much of his stuff growing up. Yeah, he must have um, been feeling, I imagine, quite the loss because he worked on the Star Trek franchise. Yeah. So much, and we lost uh, Leonard Nimoy recently this year. So yeah, it was, was a rough week. That was that was huge, and not only for sci-fi fans. Yeah, like I mean, he's he's in the lexicon. I mean, everybody, it's it's he's one of those characters, and we don't have a, necessarily a lot of them, especially outside of the superhero world. But he was one of those iconic characters that even if you didn't watch Star Trek, and you know, I I, I will be the first to admit that I wasn't a huge Star Trek fan, but everybody knows who he is. That's awesome to have a character that's landed that so squarely into the public consciousness is an amazing thing. Yeah, I think we had, um, you know, again, some the, there are so few that are that huge and and iconic. And Harrison Ford, who you know walked away from his plane crash, people were devastated because they were wondering. And you're reading all these sensationalized headlines oh, yeah. like, oh, he's in critical condition. Oh, he's in serious condition. Oh, he's been downgraded and you know, and, and yeah, head injuries are very, very serious. I'm not saying that they're not, but I'm saying don't don't write the man off as dead. Right. I mean, if the, the guy could take on Greedo, I'm not worried about a plane. It's, yeah, it got to a point then where, I mean, there there was no time wasted in the jokes coming out about the Kessel Run. And <laughs> it's like, oh, but it's Harrison Ford and, you know, and whether, you know, whether it was from Star Wars or whether it was from Indiana Jones, it's like, you know, he's just been in, in so many people's lives that, uh, you know, for our entertainment consumption, that it, it was a huge, huge deal. For sure. And, and working in, in news like I do for my day job, you know, any anytime you get a crash, anytime you get possible death, it's always that's the headline that for some reason the public wants to read about. Yeah, absolutely. If it bleeds, it it's bleeds. Exactly. And that's a shame. Um yeah, once in a while, you know, there'll be a, a sweetheart of a story about firemen saving kittens. <laughs> we need more of those. I, I, I will Google that on occasion um, just because, you know, sometimes you need sometimes that. Sometimes you need some feel good. And you're not uh, going to get it from like TMZ or something like that. <laughs> uh, no. No. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe the, you know, the next person in headlines, we'll have to bring Hugo Weaving back. There we go. Wait, what's he been up to, other than being in every single franchise ever? Exactly. I mean, we, you know, I haven't uh, heard his name in a while. I think, I think we need a good dose of that. Yeah. Hopefully it's not because of a plane crash that we hear about it. Hopefully not, no. And hopefully that doesn't mean that, you know, things are coming in threes. Right. <laughs> whatever the curse is. Um. So, you know, thinking about things like the Star Wars universe and Star Trek universe and, uh, you know, the Matrix, um, if you could go to a fictional place, where would you go? Oh, that is a good question. Um, if I could live in a fictional world. I, I'm, a, I'm a Star Wars guy, so my, my tendency naturally leads there. I'm, I'm looking at my, uh, my DVD collection to try to answer this more appropriately. I, I think... I think that's where I'd go if if I couldn't if for some reason they they did not let me have admission to the Star Wars universe then I think at this point I think I'd move on into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's a good one. I mean, yeah. if, as long as you're not living in a city where the buildings are falling oh, yeah. down on you. You know, I and I I watch, I watch shows like um I'm not a huge TV watcher, but um one of the shows that I tried to watch um over the past year or so was Gotham. And oh. Like Every it. time, and I, it's been hit or miss for me. Some of it's been good, some of it's been a little bit rough. There was a patch near the beginning that I just I couldn't watch. But every single time I watch that show, I always say the exact same thing. I say, "Why do people live in Gotham?" Right. I would just move. Right. That's uh, you know, a lot of people have asked that question. Yeah, it's like everybody's surprised that that their best friend got killed. Like, no, you should just you should get out of there. Go go to one of the more friendly cities. I guess it's like living in Detroit, though. I mean. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's our real world version. Get out of there. Get out of Detroit. Get out of there. I mean, you know, like the the fact that the the government itself is infringing upon people's right to water. There you go. 
I mean, it's it's very Gotham-esque. So that's, I would not want to live in Gotham. I can tell you that for sure. Yeah. I Yeah. And yet, I don't know if you saw that, um, that Jada Pinkett Smith has not re-signed for season two. So I imagine Fish Mooney is going to come to an untimely demise. Well, I mean... No. no, so we don't have any more overacting. Uh, I think I'll be okay. But I love that character. I didn't expect to. It's good. I, th- I think they did. They're doing a real good job. It was a rough start for, from what I've seen, and I, and I haven't by any means seen um, all of them. Uh, you know, they, they really did make some interesting characters. I'll give them that. I don't know how it works with the timeline of, of the Batman universe, and I don't think we're supposed to think about that. I yeah, I don't think it fits up at all based on like people's ages and things like that. But you know what? And, and again, I don't watch a lot of TV, and, and the shows that I do watch are, are usually in the comic book vein. Um, I, I Growing up, I didn't read a lot of DC comics, so I'm, I'm not super familiar with a lot of their characters. But I'll tell you, I don't know if you've seen the Flash TV show. I've enjoyed the heck out of that. No, I, I haven't, and a lot of people have recommended it to me. So it's probably one of the things like Arrow that I'll wait for Netflix. Like, I really enjoyed just marathoning Arrow. Mm-hmm. So I will, that that's probably my tentative plan. But I, you know, I can't say that I was ever all that attached to The Flash. I did like his appearances in the Justice League cartoons and stuff, but I, I, I know that there are really, really big, huge diehard fans. Yeah. But that's but what's interesting about about that is, um, you know, thinking of, uh, of things like Iron Man. I mean, I uh, and the Fantastic Four, like I didn't actually like those characters before the movies sure. came out. Fantastic Four, I got to say, is not the movies that sold me. I <laughs> started reading. I eventually started reading the comics back um, when Jonathan Hickman was writing oh, them. Yeah. And so I uh, so I fell in love with the Fantastic Four. But it was, again, much later in life. I didn't like them as a kid. I thought they were dreadfully boring. And I thought the same thing about Iron Man. I'm like, oh, my God, this character sucks. I don't want to see him in my Spider-Man. Right. Get away. <laughs> so um, but then they, they did, you know, they made a version of him that I that I loved. And, um, you know, so when when it's something like the Penguin, like, oh, my God, you know, I liked the Penguin. But the Gotham's version of the Penguin just won my heart from the second he got on there <laughs> just cause he's so weird and wonderful and darling. And I like the way he's uh, like, he's like fake subservient. Yeah. Like he's so subservient, but you know that he's got all of these gears grinding away inside his brain. It's great. Yeah, that guy's, I think he's going to be the, the breakout star of that show for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I like their Riddler too. Um, uh, who's the exact opposite of what I would have expected. The Riddler that we've seen before was always so boisterous and over the top and really wanted everybody to know who he was. And these are the preliminary, like you're saying, the timeline is like way early. But um, but I think it's an interesting switch to make the Riddler so um, introverted and uh, shy, very shy and stuff like that. I think, but I really, you know, I think the actor is doing a marvelous job. Yeah, they definitely have some cool ideas. And I'm, I'm glad that the, the comic book world is, is spilling over into TV just because comic books are serialized and they're, they're meant to be consumed on a, on a monthly basis. So to have a, a weekly comparison to that is, is really smart. And I think that a lot of these shows have been, been really solid and, and clearly we've got even more coming up. It's going to, it's going to be oversaturation over the next couple of years, but you know, regardless of that 10 year old Wes is like super giddy that we're getting all this stuff now. Well, what I think is interesting about the trend is that there's going to be stuff that's not um, not going to be easily identifiable to other TV watchers as being from comics like Powers, Definitely. even though, you know, Powers, it's, uh, based on the name, yes, has, does involve superpowers. But, you know, there are tons of people who watch The Walking Dead that didn't know it was comics. Definitely. And that's even cooler. I mean, there's but I think of it as I've watched a lot of movies that I didn't know were books first. So it's just, it's that same thing. And and if you're familiar with the source material, then you can kind of appreciate it on a deeper level and, and, you know, more power to the folks who are, who are bringing out some of these, these more indie comics. And like, I know that they're going to do an iZombie show um, from. Yeah. I've seen uh, some preliminary photos of that. And that's like from a Mike Allred book, which is insane that, you know, something could could come all the way to TV. And and I don't know if it's on. I I haven't seen it. I don't know much about it. But, you know, 
if you don't, if you're not in that world, then of course you're not going to know that that's a comic book. But super cool for the the folks who created it that their their work was able to translate to that. Yeah, and like you, um, like you said, you know, things that come from books, both Bones and Rizzoli and Isles were were book properties. See, I had I had no idea. That's cool. And they, you know, I don't know how closely they resemble it. Apparently, the Bones TV show is nothing, nothing like them. But um, uh, I, I haven't even checked out the Rizzoli and Isles uh, series yet or anything. And True Blood, of course, True Blood was, you know, hugely popular in, in the book world first. Well, I think as long as there are people out there doing creative things and they'll keep bringing them in and and it's it's like it's a good time. It's a good time to be a fan of very creative books or comics and and that's better than rebooting RoboCop for the eighth time. Yeah, I mean, but that's the problem with the with any of the franchises. Like, I don't I really don't think we need to see another, uh, you know, Spider-Man origin story. Right. I like the origin story. I really do. But um you know, I don't think we need a new one every five years. Well, Give it some breathing room. One of the things um, I like to tease my wife about is I, I threaten her that in our lifetime we'll probably see a remake of the uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which will be just mind-blowing. Yeah, I know. I've heard people talk about how how that would go. They're like, oh, aren't we about due for this? Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been over 10 years, I think, since that came out, if you can believe that. So it's we've got the clock's got to be ticking. But then there, there are other wonderful things like Planet of the Apes that go decades and then, you know, there's, there'll be a really failed attempt and then another decade later and there'll be something really great. Yeah. <laughs> it's the way it's going to work. I mean, original ideas are, are, are hard. It's, it's what we were talking about earlier with, with publishers. They want to put their, their time and energy behind creators that are going to bring, bring money to them. So it's, if you have an idea that's, even if it's been done 10 times, if, if doing another Superman movie is going to make you, couple billion dollars then they're just going to roll with it and i understand that it's no big deal so besides um gotham and the flash and if you're not really watching stuff what is it that you you do for your downtime or is there no downtime (laughs) there's rare downtime um i I like to read i like to read comics obviously it's um i don't have a comic shop near me so over the past couple years i've really gone hard into the world of comicsology so i am completely and 100 go down that rabbit hole i love it i'm completely and 100 percent behind it i i was one of those people that was that was not feeling it at first but just to see that from from my couch i can get probably a better selection than what i would get at the comic shop and and, you know i encourage people to if if you are able to go um to a shop you should do that you should support them 100 percent. i had a a great comic shop when i lived um in a major city and I miss them them dearly, but just the fact that I can get anything within about thirty seconds, uh, it's fantastic. And I and I am not afraid to throw down a couple dollars to try something new. Once in a while, I just I go onto Twitter and I say, Hey, I've got. I was doing this the other night. I was like, I've got five five bucks to spend. What should I read? And I had a bunch of people toss me ideas, and I read some really cool books that I'd never heard of before. Well, what's cool is sort of like the, the digital version of the big, huge white box sales yeah. <laughs> are the bundles. Oh. And there's Humble Bundle where you sort of like name your own price. And then there's um, Comixology bundles. And you can get a ton of like number one issues or something. Or they'll do it in a theme like a Transformers bundle or um, things like that. So, you know, and you're... Unit 44, maybe one of these days will end up in one of those bundles. But it's really cool because, you know, just the fact that if whether I'm at my comic shop and looking for things in the sale bin or if I'm reading digitally, I I still need a bargain. Absolutely. Um, I prefer I mean, ultimately, I I mean, if it means spending um, like doing less shopping per year, obviously. But if I if but if I have like the 20 bucks, I'd rather meet an artist or or a writer at a show and just give them the 20 bucks right. and, you know, get the book signed and enjoy that experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but if that's, you know, that's a, that's not something that's going to happen at week to week. <laughs> like, you know, with me, I was, have been waiting and waiting and waiting for a couple Marvel titles to go on sale. So it wasn't until now that I just read like the first volume of uh, Captain Marvel. That's awesome. I just had that same experience with, um, with Hawkeye, you know, that was a book that I'd, I'd heard right. great it's things were... about, and I and I finally was able to, finally able to afford it. So I I enjoyed the heck out of that. 
Yeah, and it was, you know, still one of those decisions where Comixology was having a 50% off Marvel yeah. sale. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. oh my God, Marvel at 50%? Heck yeah. Really? And I, you know, I, I only have, I'm, I'm a writer by day and a writer by hobby, so I, I don't have all the money in the world. So if I'm going to take my, my weekly budget and spend it on comics, I'm going to try to get the biggest bang for my buck. So unfortunately, that means I'm not current on a lot of series. I typically will, will wait until you know, it goes down in price a little bit, but that lets me read more comics as opposed to just being able to buy two $4 books a week. You know, you gotta, you gotta make it count. Yeah, I agree. Um, uh, you know, I'm kind of late to the party with wicked and divine, mm-hmm. but you know, that's a fantastic series. Um, like Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey. Um, you know, again, it's like, I'll see the buzz about like lumberjanes was another one. I had to like, I waited, like everybody was talking about lumberjanes and I I was like, oh, yeah, I'll get yep, to it I'll, I'll read it in two or three months. <laughs> and eventually I did. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing ever. Yeah. And it's cool because, you know, if people are talking about stuff, that gets me excited to read it. Um, I, I have a, a list of things that I like to read regularly, but I, I love getting a number one that just blows my mind. Like that experience to me is still just just as cool as it was when I was a kid. So besides Planet Gigantic, what's what one has uh, has had that effect on you recently? I'll tell you some of my favorite comics right now that I really like. The Woods coming out from Boom Studios. Um, that's a great title. It's I, I talk about it like it's kind of similar to, to Morning Glories. If you're familiar with that series from Image, I haven't read it. I'm vaguely familiar okay. familiar it, with it. And Morning Glories is equally as great. So The Woods is like a Morning Glories where stuff actually happens. And that's just a silly joke. I really don't mean that. I like everybody that's making Morning Glories, too. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I've met some people that, that do make it. It's, they're really great they people. Are. It's a great book. And um, I really like uh, The Manhattan Projects. Oh, you know, that's one I've never checked that out. That book is insane. And, and I think that I do a lot with, with science and sci-fi, and, and they do as well. Um, so that book speaks to me on just that nerdy type of level. Um, so definitely, yeah, you should definitely check that out. That book is, it's crazy. I mean, it's, it, you will finish issues and you will have no idea what happened, but it's still awesome. Um, and, and Nick Patara is, is on art and, and it's written by Jonathan Hickman and they're just, I'll read anything that Jonathan Hickman writes. That guy is, is crazy good. Brilliant. He's one of the, uh, yeah, one of those people where you want one of those uh, lock and key keys to like yes. go into his brain and go, how did you come up with this? I would love to see because I, he always has this gigantic plan on all of his Marvel stuff and all of his indie stuff. I would love to just like raid his hard drive and, and look at the types of files that he keeps. I think that would be cool from a process standpoint. Um, yeah, that's another, oh, another good book um, that I really enjoy is, is Bravest Warriors from, from Boom. Um, which is based off the uh, the web cartoon that that's... Oh, I knew there was some kind of connection from somewhere, and I didn't know what it was. I was like, "Is this a cartoon network? Like, what is like?" I didn't know what the, what it even was. It is, and and if you haven't seen the cartoon, go check it out on YouTube. Each episode's like five minutes long, and they're absolutely hilarious. And they do a great job at at translating um, those characters to the printed page. So that's definitely something I recommend to people any chance that I get. A lot of people just aren't familiar with kind of what it is, so definitely check that out. Um, and there's, there's just so much good stuff out there right now. I'm trying to think of what else that I've read that's Hawkeye was really good. I know I'm really late to the party on that, but I really thought that was good. Um, I read, I even read the first trade of the strange talent of Luther Strode recently, which I, Oh, okay. I, I haven't, I, I've, uh, that's Justin Jordan. Sure right? is. And, and that's a book that I'd heard about for years and I'd always meant to read it. And and I finally said, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm actually, I'm gonna take the the chance. I'm gonna dive in, and I love the heck out of that. That uh, it's got art by Trad Moore, and it is just like this hyper kinetic, completely amazing visual. It's it's hyper violent, which will probably turn some people off, but um, really just really good book, really funny, really really silly, but but very poignant at the same time. He's amazing with action, um, you know, action scenes. Heck yeah. Uh, I read Dead Body Road. I think that was his. Oh, Justin Jordan. Yeah, yeah. I remember reading. I think I read the first issue of that, but I think I, I think I fell off. You know what I think you will like, and I don't Hit know me. if this, if this is on your radar. Um, have you checked out Copperhead? Yes. Oh my gosh, I, I was going to say that next. I, I just read the first issue of that last week, and I'm not a big Western guy. They just, they don't tend to speak to me. But again, it's you put that sci-fi in there, and I'm sold. 
Uh, I, yeah, and it's still got a little bit noir too, so it's like not even hardcore western, definitely. like you know, like Firefly. It's sort of like this incredible fusion of things. I have so I read the first issue and I have the second issue waiting for me, but I'm I'm super excited to dive into that world. I think that's going to be really cool. Awesome. My my other uh, sci-fi favorite is has been Black Science, even though I'm a couple issues behind. That is also good as well. I, I've only read the first issue of that. Um, and that's one of those things where I said, I'm, you know, I'm going to wait on this. I'm going to, I'm going to let them sock away a couple trades before I, I really dive into yeah. that world. But I thought that that was a great opening, and and Rick Remenders is just great. He does some fantastic work. The uh, they are uh, Mateus Glera, awesome. uh, stunning. I think Dean White did the colors. Um, an unbelievably stunning art, and so just it looks like they have fun when they make it, and when you feel that from reading a story. It it just it's a strange thing that that comes through. Like when I read you you know Unit Forty Four, I feel like you guys are having fun. Absolutely. And with Black Science, I got that same feeling because there's all these cool aliens and creatures, and um, you know all of the characters have uh, very specific traits. So it's it seems like something they just to put that much love into it. They have to really. Uh, be be completely in, into it. And and the other book, the last book, I'll, I'll shout out to because I think that if people like this, they would also really like Unit Forty Four. Um, if anybody is reading uh, God Hates Astronauts from Image Comics, which is a uh, Ryan Brown, are you familiar with it? Um, I only am familiar with him that in the I think he appears at every convention. He it started as a web comic, and you can actually read the the first volume for free. Um, on that website, but they they moved it to an ongoing series of image and and it is just this really bizarre imaginative space series that it, i I wish I can't even tell you what's going on because I don't even know, but it's funny. It's got a ton of visual humor. It's got a ton of great gags. Um, but if people anybody listening to this that is into that series, I, I definitely think that they would find unit forty four amusing as well. Cool. Yeah, and the other things that I've uh, been reading are all, all ages or or specifically kid uh, kid targeted books. That's just that's the brain candy that I like. Sure. You know, I love uh, like I said, Planet Gigantic, and um, which is is more of an all ages. It doesn't mean that it's targeted to kids. Oh no, I mean I I think that anybody can get behind that. That's yeah. it's it's got two two kids as the protagonist, but the story right, but it's is very not, mature. It's they did a fantastic job with that book. Yeah, it's brilliant, and uh, and Hero Cats. And uh, Penny Dora and the Wishing Box is another good one. And Oddly Normal, which um, I think Oddly Normal is also, uh, I want to say that's an image book. Okay. I'm not familiar with, with the other ones on the list, but, but I'm going to have you to email me those names so I can look them up. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to get you. Penny Dora and the Wishing Box is definitely um, an, an image. Um, the other one is uh, Oddly Normals by Otis Frampton, but I might be getting the publisher confused. Um, yeah, so just like good, very fun, uh, good stories that, you know, it's okay if you leave it out on your coffee table. <laughs> I like fun. I think that that's one of the things that we set out to do with Unit 44 is, and, and we were talking about this before we started recording, but right now in comics there's, and we're starting to move out of it, but for, for a couple of years there we were really stuck in this this realistic, this gritty, everything was very downer, everything was very dark and and. Ed and I really set out to make a book that was that was light, that was funny, that was silly, that was completely irreverent. You're you're not going to learn any deep life lessons from Unit 44, but you are going to have you know 15 minutes of just absolute fun, and you're going to laugh out loud when you read it. So I think that anybody that kind of is looking for that escape that that some comic books offer, they need to check that out. It's it's really going to be exactly what they want. That's awesome, and um, yeah, I I I think that it's cool when you can easily tell people, Oh, if you like this, then you'll like this. I mean, I just think that that's, that's an easy way to sell your product. Sure. Um, the, uh, let's see, what else did I read recently? Oh, part-time princesses by Monica Gallagher. Okay. Um, she's a, a writer that an artist that I found her book. Um, I'm trying to remember if I, it was through Twitter or if I met her at a, the convention first, but she has a book called Boobage. Okay. It's really, um, it's, it's awkwardly specific, but it is about uh, how going through adolescence and, and women developing 
feelings about their own bodies and stuff. And so when I saw that she had this kind of silly comic out called Part-Time Princesses, I thought it was going to be, you know, a princess story, but it's not. It's actually like the mean popular girls that are seniors in high school. And they're part-time princesses at a local amusement park. Okay, that's the catch. That's (laughs) hilarious. That's the catch. But it's a fast read. It's a fun read. And it's, you know, it's uh, the sort of thing where it's not like an in-your-face morality tale, but it's there. That's great. I'm I'm really glad that that stuff like that is is coming to the forefront now. I I really think we need more of that. Cool. All right, Wes. Well, I mean, it's been always wonderful, super wonderful talking with you. And this is why we do it a couple times Absolutely. a year. You're just, we're just going to make it a regular. I don't even Hello. remember if we were promoting a book. I, I just enjoy chatting with you. Yeah, it's so much fun. And, um, you know, I wish you the best of luck with, with all the projects. But, you know, Unit 44, I think uh, a lot of people need to get their eyes on for sure this year. Absolutely. And one of the best ways to do that is um, from April 10th through 12th, I'll actually be at Megacon in Orlando, Florida. So if anybody is in the area, I'll be at, uh, in the independent, independent press area so they can stop by. And if they want to get their hands on a physical copy, I'll be more than happy to help hook them up. Okay. That's really good to know. And like we said, um, you know, March 25th, very soon, uh, the digital readers will be able to uh, get their eyes on yep, it, too. It'll, it'll be here. Well, it's been a couple of years, but we're, we're finally arrived, and I'm super excited. Well, you know, it's it's a slow process, like you said. It is. And this is always the most terrifying part because you you've – been coddling the project you've been showing the project tender love and and now you have to send the kids off to school and it gets all scary from there oh yeah your your babies are they out are, there they are, and they're not coming back they but they better pay their own college tuition darn it <laughs> all right so is that the only con yet that you have scheduled That's the only one officially on the books all we have one in uh nearby Panama City in August that I'll be at and then I'm I'm planning to make it back for New York Comic Con this year. Probably won't table, probably just be be walking around, but I'm bound and determined to get back okay. there. Okay, cool. Uh hopefully I will see you. I would hope so. All right. And uh where are the links so that uh people can actually, you know, make sure that they follow you and they don't forget any of these announcements. <laughs> Fair enough. They can follow me on Twitter at Wes Loker. Uh all one word. They can find me at Facebook um at writer Wes Loker. And um, for more information on Unit 44, they can visit alternacomics.com or unit44.com, and there will be links to that first issue on March 25th. That's wonderful. Cool. All right, Wes. Um, it's always great talking to you. And I, of course, will be chatting with you on Twitter. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having <laughs> me. I really do appreciate it. Anytime. You guys can follow me on Twitter, if you're not already, at Elizabeth Amber. And uh, everything else is at amberunmasked.com. Don't forget that you can sponsor the show on the website. Make sure that I can do things like pay for web hosting. Uh, go to patreon.com slash amberunmasked. So um, if you don't have free comic book day plans, remember that's coming up very soon for people. So uh, stick around on my Twitter and at Comic Fusion's Twitter to see what uh, news and announcements we have regarding that.